Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another loaded episode. NFL training camp updates. A star running back once traded college football realignment, NFL quarterback tiers. We'll preview the NFC West and a lot more to get to. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what's going on? It's here. It's finally here. Today we have the Hall of Fame game with the Jets and the Browns, although there may not be a lot of starters that we're going to see. And if we do, we're probably going to see them maybe for one series, if any. But we're going to get some live action with the Hall of, uh, excuse me, the Hall of Fame football game today. So I hope everybody's tuning in to us and then tuning in to them to see and finally open up this 2023 season. Man, you put it perfectly. Hall of Fame game is it's really one of my favorite moments because this is the first football, and I know it's preseason and like you said, it's it's backups and all that. I get it, but this is the first football game since the Super Bowl. So this is a big deal. This is really when things get going, man. We're going to have preseason football here, and it starts tonight. I can't wait. I love the whole festivities of the Hall of Fame game. I like how they they do it in Canton, Ohio, and they've got the Hall of Famers for the upcoming class that are there, and they're getting interviewed and talking about their careers and telling stories. It's just such a fun way to kind of kick off the NFL season. I know I'm looking forward to it. I know you are. I know all you guys, PGF Nation, are looking forward to this game as well because people that listen to this podcast are not average football fans. I mean, let's face it, Alex. This is for the diehards. If you're tuning in, you love the game like we do, but we have got a ton of stuff to cover here today. I'm not kidding, Alex. It is a lot of stuff, so buckle in, guys. Let's get going here. I want to start with a pretty big story here, Alex. Colts running back Jonathan Taylor has officially requested a trade. Now, this is after asking for a new contract to begin training camp. He's currently on the PUP list, and apparently he suffered an injury to his back while working out in Arizona. But here's the key. He said on Twitter, one, never had back pain. Two, never reported back pain. Not sure who, quote-unquote, sources are, but find new ones. Now, Taylor is entering the final year of his rookie contract. I understand that he wants a new deal or a new team, but Colts owner Jim Ursay admitted last week no contract talks have taken place. This story has gotten really crazy here, especially with Jim Ursay and some of the things he's responded with. We can jump into that as well. But what are your thoughts here on the initial trade request here from Jonathan Taylor? Well, Brad, I, I, and, and forgive me, I know that we spoke about this and more than likely we spoke about it off mic when I was talking about, and I, it was happening in real time, and I want to say it was happening when we were actually recording, that Jim Ursay, as well as Jonathan Taylor's agent, were literally going back and forth on Twitter where Jim Ursay made his initial comments about running backs and Jonathan Taylor's agent responded with saying, since when don't you play pay the best players, the best offensive players on your team? 
make it make sense. And then from there, it continued with a lot more from Jim Ursay. Going back and forth, we know he's a more one of the more boisterous owners out there. And I would say, lack, for lack of a better term, loose cannon in terms of what he says. And this is where I think a lot of this is stemming from, from that interaction to where Jonathan Taylor made the inference that he wants to be traded. Now, I'm not sure if this would be the right move in the current climate of the R&B market, given that Josh Jacobs is still unsigned, still under franchise tag, has not signed a franchise tag and has not come to a deal. In lieu of what happened with Saquon Barkley with his one-year deal, the running back market is still in flux. Kareem Hunt is still sitting out there as well as Zeke, as well as Dalvin Cook as well. I know we'll talk about those guys later, but I think this is something that's not going to happen. He's not going to hold out of camp. He's only had one true year of production, albeit one incredible year of production when he ran for over 1,800 yards and I believe 15, 16 touchdowns, but it's just one year in his four-year career. and He's entering, I believe this would be his last year Uh, as he was a second round pick the last year of his deal. So I'm not sure from a business point of this is what I would do right now, being that he doesn't, his, his track record of staying healthy and staying on the field is very shaky. I'm not sure I would think I would put my head down and actually work. And then it puts them in a bind when they get to the end of the season that if I do what I'm supposed to do, then I've increased my value. And then I have, hand and I don't think he has hand in this moment he's operating from a deficit as opposed to perhaps maybe where Saquon is or maybe where Josh Jacobs is so this is a very sticky situation that Jonathan Taylor and his agent perhaps that I feel may have put themselves in who knows I could be wrong but from my perspective they're at a deficit here in terms of what they're trying to do yeah, and you're right about Jim Ursay, Colts owner. This guy has been a loose cannon for years. We know that. He told The Athletic, quote, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. This is one of those moments where owners just just need to be quiet. Like, nobody needs this from Jim Ursay. I hate when these owners get involved like this. And a lot of times Jim Ursay does this and just makes these types of statements. It's just not necessary. But when you listen to those kind of responses, it's pretty clear. He's not going to be paying Jonathan Taylor anytime soon. I think it's only a matter of time before Jonathan Taylor's on another team. I don't know if it's going to be a trade. I don't, I just don't know what to make of this, but this is a bad situation when you've got a rookie quarterback, a highly talented young running back who really could have been having a bounce back season. I talked about him as being a guy that I thought going into this year is has a potential to have a big bounce back season and really help this young quarterback. This situation, you said it, Alex, it's gotten sticky. It's gotten messy. Nothing about this I like if I'm a Colts fan. The Vikings and Daniil Hunter agree to terms on a new one-year deal worth up to $20 million. Now, the deal includes $17 million fully guaranteed and a provision that prevents Hunter from receiving a franchise or transition tag in 2024. Now, reports have said that the Vikings have listened to trade offers for Hunter earlier this offseason. 
we talked about this, Alex, and we've talked about this Vikings team, and this was a guy to circle and watch here this offseason because Minnesota released Dalvin Cook. They traded Zadarius Smith, and they let Dalvin Tomlinson walk in free agency. It felt like Hunter was going to be moved as well, but the Vikings bring back their leading pass rusher from last season, a guy who had 10 and a half sacks. Hunter will be a free agent again next spring. What are your thoughts on this deal, Alex? I think it's a good deal for Daniel Hunter. Uh, we talked about him previously, what he was able to do as defensive end, and then what he did last year as a linebacker in a 3-4 when they completely changed the offense. Line, still an effective linebacker in terms of an edge rusher getting nine and a half sacks and then also being able to drop back and to pass and cover as well. So I think this guy has shown he's a complete edge rusher. He knows what he's doing, whether you want to put his hand in the dirt, whether you want to stand him up, put him at linebacker position and be able to still do things. So I respect the Vikings for going to him and working this out. And it seems to say that he, from his perspective, he wants to be happy. He says that he hopes that he remains a Viking forever. So I think this is what we, in lieu of what we just said previously with Jim Ursay to what we're looking at now, it looks an organization and ownership and GM taking care of a player that should be taken care of. Really good player, really kind of an underrated player in a lot of ways, because like you said, to be able to transition from those two systems and have the success that he's had just tells you how talented he is. But this Vikings team, I just don't know what to make of this team right now because we've talked about them a lot this offseason, Alex. Getting rid of so many key players, it just feels like a quiet rebuild. It feels like they're moving in a different direction, but they still kind of want to win this upcoming season. It's it's like no man's land. I don't, I don't really know what to make of this team. I understand keeping them on for one year. He's probably not going to be there next year. Kirk Cousins is probably not going to be there next year. I think we're going to see a much different Vikings team after this season, but I understand why they wanted to have him on for this season because it, maybe they feel like they still have a window right now where they can win games. Miami Dolphins cornerback Jalen Ramsey went down with a torn meniscus, a knee injury during training camp. It's going to require surgery that will knock him out for a big portion of the 2023 season. Now, Ramsey was traded from the Rams to the Dolphins earlier this offseason for a third-round pick and tight end Hunter Long. This is a major blow for the Dolphins defense that could have opened the season, Alex, with one of the best cornerback duos in the league. Yeah, losing Jalen Ramsey, I mean, the reports are kind of all over the place. I think I heard from six to eight weeks, and then I saw Schefter say until November or December. So I don't truly know, or I don't know if an official word has come out on how long he's going to be out, but he, how long he's going to be out. But here's the caveat to everything. Vic Fangio, I have a level of such respect for this man and the schemes that he does and how he can coach defenses. And I'm not saying he can make up for the deficiency, but I think they have a guy in place that knows what needs to be done to make up and try and hold the fort until Jelly Ramsey gets back and they can have what we initially thought they would have going into the season as one of the more formidable defensive backfields. And not to mention this is the same guy when we first saw Bradley Chubb into the league, this was his coach. So if it's anybody that can unlock Bradley Chubb and along with Christian Wilkins and what that defense been, has been able to do before Jalen Ramsey got there, they'll be able to maintain. And now they have a full season of Bradley Chubb 
coached by Vic Fangio, this defense is going to look different. It's still going to be solid. It may not be as an elite as we thought it might have had a chance to be with Jalen Ramsey there, but it still will be a formidable defense, and hopefully they can hold the fort and do the things that they need to do to maintain until Jalen Ramsey returns. Yeah, I agree, Alex. I, As you know, Vic Fangio, I think he's the best defensive mind in the game, at least in the conversation, certainly. And I'm with you. I think this defense is going to be just fine. It does hurt this team. But when you look at the Ramsey side of things, he's 28. He's still playing at a high level. But you have to wonder what he looks like when he returns from this injury and just wonder if his best football is unfortunately already behind him. And, you know, there's been a lot of other injuries. You know, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the injury to Tim Patrick in Denver as well. I believe he has a torn Achilles, so he's going to miss his second season again after coming off of an ACL. And what that does to that Denver wide receiver, what wide receiver core, we know that KJ Hamler also came out, even though he may have not been a big part of, and I believe he was fourth on the depth chart coming into training camp. He has a heart issue as well, so he won't be with the team. I know that they did sign somebody off their practice squad, excuse me, not off their practice, they did uh, bring in another wide receiver, another body for camp, but they will be looking to see what they can do, and I won't be surprised if they bring in somebody, one of those free agents that are still out there that may still be available, a la maybe perhaps uh, Jarvis Landry, to come in and assist with and bring some more depth to that Denver wide receiving core. This wide receiver room is looking thinner than expected going into the season. I'm with you. It'll be really interesting to kind of see what they do here if they make a move in free agency to bring somebody on. I expect them to do that, Alex. I think you hit it on the head. This is just the unfortunate, sometimes ugly side of training camp and preseason in the NFL. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin practices in full pads for the first time since his cardiac arrest last season on Monday Night Football. He said, quote, it feels amazing to be back. It's a roller coaster of emotions. I was kind of all over the place being back for the first time. God doesn't make mistakes. I'm on God's timing. As much as the NFL is on schedule, this is God's timing. That's my strength in all this right now. I pretty much lost my life playing this sport. So to come back and do it all again, it's all over the place. I'm rooted in my faith. I'm rooted in love for my family, my teammates, and the love all around the world. Simply awesome, Alex. When I read these quotes, I got goosebumps. I mean, this is just one of those amazing stories. Absolutely awesome. I don't know if you saw when he presented the Pat Tillman Award for service at the ESPYs recently with the Buffalo Bills uh, training staff who helped save his life. Huge emotional response. I mean, this story was, was so hard when it happened. It was such a scary moment to see this guy back on the field, back playing with his teammates and getting ready for the upcoming season. It's just incredible. Absolutely. I mean, we were all, that was a primetime game. Most of us who are football fans were watching it. And even those of us who weren't football fans that are paying attention to social media, it went viral immediately and everybody tuned in. So we all sat there in anticipation, trying to figure out what was going on. Not under, This was unprecedented. We had seen broken legs. We had seen a few gruesome things on the field. We had never my lifetime ever seen anything like this and for this young man to now be on the field to now be prepared to 
put on full pads. I can imagine the emotions that he may be feeling. I can imagine the emotions the first time he tackled someone and then got up or maybe the people that were watching around when he, he begins to hit people and when he goes down and gets and gets back up what is happening for what I understand obviously there's a lot of extra medical staff on the sideline at actually all of training camp due to what happened to DeMar Hamlin but specifically in that Buffalo training camp to see and you know everyone's holding their breath every time he makes a hit until they feel comfortable and then the person that's actually going through it DeMar himself to feel that to get that hit in and then be able to get up walk to the sideline, get a few, you know, knocks on the head, a few high fives of, of the play that he did. So it's very good to see, very good for him, very good for Buffalo, very good for the NFL. Cowboys running back Ronald Jones got hit with a two-game suspension for violating the NFL's PED policy. He signed with Dallas as a free agent in March. Jones is in a training camp battle for a backup role behind Tony Pollard. This could be a big setback, and it does open the door for the Cowboys to potentially go after a guy like Dalvin Cook or maybe Kareem Hunt in free agency. Well, I'll say this. I had always been looking for Dallas to get another running back. I know we talked about Tony Pollard in one of our earlier pods, and I know we differ in terms of what I feel about Tony Pollard as a lead back versus what you feel, but I always felt they needed to go get someone else. Initially, that person, being that they had Rojo, I always thought that person should have been Kareem Hunt. But now, with Ronald Jones getting suspended, and what's going on there, if I'm not mistaken, like the last I looked, which was about maybe three days ago, the Cowboys did have about $10 million or, ten, excuse me, worth $10 million under the cap. I'm sure any uh, capologist out there can be crafty, maybe get him in for maybe about $5 million and maybe put some incentives on top of that with touchdown and or yards to make this deal work. And Jerry Jones, they should be able to come together and figure some things out because you know you're going to need a running game with Zeke gone, regardless of how anybody felt about him. Or perhaps maybe does this even open up the door for them to bring back Zeke? Who knows? But they have good amount of money under the salary cap to kind of really go in whichever direction that they see fit to bring in somebody. But this is definitely going to heat up that running back market. And if there's other teams out there, because this does now, this will now affect other teams who may have been looking at a Dalvin Cook, a Zeke, or Kareem Hunt. Now this is going to maybe start a bit of a bidding war because if the Cowboys feel they need to make a move and we know that Dalvin Cook was recently with the Jets and things like that, now it's going to say, okay, people are going to start jockeying, jockeying for positioning with these specific running backs to get them into camp so that the other team doesn't get it, especially now that people are starting to go down with injuries. So it's going to be very interesting to watch, which will ultimately affect what has been the big talk of the NFL, the, the running back market, and what is it currently right now. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they're going to be willing to spend it's a two-game suspension, so they're not going to lose them for a lengthy period of time, but you'd hate to open the season and not have some depth there at the running back room. If you look at a guy like Kareem Hunt, he wasn't great last season, but he's still 27 years old. I think there's some tread left on the tires, and I think they could get him at a lower price tag than a guy like Cook. If I'm Dallas, he'd be the guy that I'd be targeting, and if they can get him for the right price, I think that would be a nice option for them and add some depth to that running back room. 
Colorado sent absolute shockwaves through college football last week when they announced that they're leaving the Pac-12 and rejoining the Big 12. Colorado was in the Big 12 until it left in 2011 to pursue at the time what it thought was going to be better financial stability in the Pac-12. Well, that never happened because former Pac-12 commissioner Larry Scott made too many mistakes, quite frankly, to cover on this podcast. Fast forward, now USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten in 2024, and now Colorado is leaving for the Big 12 in 2024. The Pac-12 was already on life support, but now I'm not sure there's any way of coming back from this. The Big 12 isn't done yet either. Now, reportedly, they're interested in poaching Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State, with the uncertainty of the Pac-12 and still no media deal on the table here, I expect at least one more school makes the move to the Big 12 in the upcoming days. By the time this podcast airs, Alex, I think there's a good chance that at least Arizona, if not more schools, are already in the Big 12. Absolutely. I mean, it's now they're now being cherry-picked. And now you have to stop the bleeding. And if I'm not mistaken from what I saw today, which is uh, maybe about two or three hours ago, they have been presented with an Apple streaming deal. Now, I don't know the numbers that may be surrounding that, but they have to do something to stop the bleeding here. Because with Colorado leaving, with obviously we already know what's going on with USC and with UCLA, that just leaves Oregon, Utah, and Oregon State and a few other teams that may not be the popular name, the name that pops out when you want to start negotiating these type of things, but we're here now. And the only deal that they have on the table is this Apple streaming deal. They need to put something in place to stop the bleeding before they basically lose everybody. Because if Oregon leaves, then you're basically unfortunately left with no, no type of premier team in your division. So go ahead, secure this deal, stop the bleeding and try and fix things going forward. And hopefully you can maintain and maybe you can bring some other teams in and hopefully some of those teams are able to pop. But right now, the Pac-12 is bleeding and they don't have it and there's not a Band-Aid big enough to stop it. Man, you are not kidding, Alex. And I don't know if this media deal is going to be good enough for some of these teams to not start seriously looking around to a conference like the Big 12, which is clearly open for business. Alex, I said a few weeks ago when we talked about some of these rumors that were swirling around with realignment, I said circle July 21st because that was Pac-12 Media Day. I said on this podcast, if Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov doesn't have a deal done by then, this could get ugly. Well, it just went from bad to worse. This is a serious situation now, and it is going to have a domino effect across the landscape of college football. On July 30th, Jack McGuire of Barstool Sports shared that he's hearing the Big Ten will add Clemson, Florida State, Oregon, and Washington. Sports Illustrated also reported that when that news broke. Now, look, there's a ton of speculation out there on who could move, where these teams are going to go, but the bottom line is it's a game of musical chairs, and we're not done yet. These A lot of these big premier teams, like an Oregon, like a Washington, and maybe some of these ACC schools, 
they're in a little different situation because they're locked into a grant of rights deal that goes through 2036, where the Pac-12 deal ends at the end of this upcoming season. So the Pac-12 is ripe for the picking, so to speak. Like you mentioned there, the ACC, it's a little messier, but we know there's been reports that a lot of teams in the ACC, like Florida State, Clemson, and others, they've been frustrated with their deal and are looking for a way out as well. It just feels like everyone is going to be headed, and I say everyone meaning the big programs in college football, I think are going to be headed to the Big Ten or the uh, SEC at some point. But the Big 12 is trying to strengthen its brand with numbers. Here's my prediction, Alex. I think Arizona joins the Big 12 in the next few days. Like I said, it could even happen by the time this podcast airs. Then the floodgates are going to bust wide open. The other four corner schools are going to follow, Arizona State and Utah. I think the Big 10 gets involved at that point because at that point, the Pac-12 is officially dead, and I think they go after a school like Oregon and Washington, and they get those other two West Coast programs to pair with UCLA and USC, which they recently added. I think it helps with scheduling, and it kind of gives the Big Ten a West Coast footprint. The SEC, I think, is a is definitely a conference to look at because I don't think they're going to want to be outdone. If the Big Ten makes these big moves, I could see them getting involved. They've got the money, the cachet, the respect to be able to open their wallets and possibly get ACC schools like Clemson or Florida State. There's been reports that they could be interested in raiding some of those schools from the ACC and the race for super conferences at that point is full steam ahead. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie, the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at thetailgatefoodie.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus 
five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. So Alex, you sent me a tweet recently, and I thought it was so good that we had to talk about it here on the podcast. 50 total NFL insiders, including eight GMs, 10 executives, 10 head coaches, and 15 coordinators ranked 30 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and they did it by tiers. Now, this is according to The Athletic. I want to jump into these tiers, these quarterbacks. I want to get your thoughts on this list, where these guys are ranked. Let's start at the top here, tier one. And like I said, this is not the media. This is not fans. These are people who are highly respected individuals who are in the league. Like I mentioned, GMs, coaches. These are guys that know the game at the highest level. Their tier one came down to at number one, Patrick Mahomes. At number two, Joe Burrow. At number three, Josh Allen. At number four, Aaron Rodgers. And number five, Justin Herbert. That was the their tier one quarterbacks. We can jump into the rest here as well, Alex, but I want to get your initial thoughts. And I'll just say this. I think tier one should be one name with Patrick Mahomes. Some other people may try to push Joe Burrow in there. There's probably an argument for that, but tier one should just be one person. And then if you want to argue Joe Burrow, we can, you, I wouldn't fight it, but you can have an argument about that. And then there should be other tiers because though these other quarterbacks Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, I'm sorry, they're not on that tier. We have watched, and I'll just quickly go through a few. We have watched Josh Allen, as we talked about, we've talked uh, we've talked about off mic, we've been watching him a little bit regress. He's not getting better in terms of reading and doing the things that he's no, he's he should be matriculating as, as I, and as I've always said, I don't call any quarterback elite until after five years, where I see you do something special, the defense adjusts, and then you adjust, and then we go on from there to see if you can maintain consistency. Now, if we're just simply looking at numbers, some numbers look for Josh Allen, they look the same, but when you're actually watching the games, you are watching him struggle. You're watching him play a little bit of hero ball. The same thing with Aaron Rodgers. We've watched this man now. You can blame some things on the defense, of course, with what San Francisco did when they ran for 200 yards with Raheem Mozart. However, we've watched him for three years in a row being that AFC championship game and not be able to get to the big game when that team was talented enough, when that team was good enough to get to that game. We watched uh, that defense turn Tom Brady over three times and them still not be able to win that game. There is no excuse when you're going to say you're going to be in tier one. 
you should be then moving on. You should, whether you've lost, maybe whether you moved on and lost that Super Bowl, that's fine. But you should have had at least one other Super Bowl run from Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And then, of course, we get to Justin Herbert. Now, there is a little bit of a caveat in terms of his coach. We know there's a deficit there and how he's being coached and a lot of things there. But what we're seeing from him and what we're seeing from other quarterbacks that might be in the next tier that you're going to discuss, we can argue that we can remove Justin Herbert and push him down in tier and put some of these other quarterbacks up into the next tier. Yeah, I think I'm with you on Patrick Mahomes being on a tier by himself. I mean, this guy is really something else. We know he really is the best player in this league, and it's it's not really that close. Now, I don't have a problem if we wanted to put Joe Burrow in that same category, but I think those are really the only two guys that have any discussion to be in tier one. I like what you're doing here because I think they could have separated tier two into that next group, which is Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Aaron Rodgers. I'm fine with those guys being in tier two. If if we wanted to make a smaller tier two, I'm more than okay with it. Like you mentioned there with Justin Herbert, I think the coaching has held him back. Aaron Rodgers, the playoffs have held him back. I know he has a Super Bowl under his belt, but you hit on it perfectly. With Josh Allen, he went from two years in the league, he was a bust. Then all of a sudden he gets Brian Dayball and Stephon Diggs, and he looks like an MVP caliber player for a couple seasons. He loses Dayball, and now all of a sudden he takes a step back. So I think there is a case to be made. As good as Josh Allen is, as talented as he is, being the MVP favorite multiple times in recent years, the Bills being Super Bowl favorites in this era with Mahomes, I think is an insult to Kansas City, and I think it's a little bit of overhype on Josh Allen. Not to take anything away from him. I think he's easily in this top five discussion. I don't think that's even debatable, but you can be a top five quarterback and still be slightly overrated. Let's jump into their tier two. Now, like I said, this isn't our tiers. We're just going through it here. Tier two starts at number six with Jalen Hurts at number seven, Lamar Jackson at number eight, Trevor Lawrence at number nine, Dak Prescott at number 10, Matthew Stafford at number 11, Deshaun Watson at number 12, Kirk Cousins. A lot to be discussed here, Alex. What do you make of this group? Who's too high? Who's too low? What What do you think about this group? Well, the first thing here is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence should be at number seven. I'll, and we can actually argue for him to be at number six, but Jalen Hurts proved a lot last year. Just as Trevor Lawrence took steps, Jalen Hurts took steps that took him to the Super Bowl. But to have Lamar Jackson above Trevor Lawrence, when we watched Trevor Lawrence and the first time he was able to go to the playoffs in a game where he had five, well, he, the team had five turnovers in that first quarter to show the fortitude to get through that, to come back in that game, and then to win that game. And not only win that game, then to go to Kansas City. And if Jamal Agnew does it, if I believe he fumbled the ball, that's a game or they even win that game. So this wasn't just, oh, they just made a pass and then they got blown up by Kansas City. No, they went then to the potential champions and then gave them a run for their money. So this wasn't anything light to take. Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, due to him being hurt the past two years and then the, what we've gotten from him in the playoffs, he has not been what we've seen from Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is showing that he is quickly ascending 
past Lamar Jackson and potentially, as I spoke about earlier with Justin Herbert, we can actually maybe even argue for Jalen Hurts or Trevor Lawrence to be in that tier one and to bump Justin Herbert down. Now, the other person in this group that I have an issue with is Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford only had the one year. And then if we're just looking at, I'm not sure we didn't look we weren't able to look at what they really looked at, what they were trying to consider. But Matthew Stafford is on the decline. I can't have him above Deshaun Watson. Uh, I can't have him above Kirk Cousins. And looking at what I saw from the Netflix special at, you know, we can talk about it later with Patrick Mahomes and Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is the consummate consistently doing what he does. We can talk about primetime games. We can talk about a few different things. But what we have gotten from Kirk Cousins, we know exactly who he is. And he's consistently been that guy. Deshaun Watson was out of football. He had not played. So last year, we don't know. But Matthew Stafford is on the decline with his arm. We know the Rams tried to trade him. He should be lower. He should be lower on this list. And again, there's some people in that next tier that I'll that I'll mention that you can probably discuss that should be up where Matthew Stafford is. And he should be in tier three. Yeah, I knew this tier was gonna get really interesting. So I'm going to push back slightly on Trevor Lawrence. And look, by the end of this upcoming season, I think he could easily move up this list. Here's the thing. We can't overrate Trevor Lawrence because of his potential and how he was viewed coming into the NFL as this generational prospect. Because let's face it, if he was a late first-round pick who played like crap his rookie year, then only really started playing well the last eight or nine games or so in year two, there's no way he'd be this high on this list. Or trying to put him in tier one, especially not over Justin Herbert, who's been tearing it up his first three years in the NFL despite the worst coaching in the league. I can't put anyone from tier two above Justin Herbert. Now I'm with you. Lamar Jackson has had his struggles in the playoffs and things like that, but I got to pump the brakes a little bit for me. It's just too small of a sample size to be pushing them ahead of a league MVP like Lamar Jackson on Trevor Lawrence being ahead of a guy like Lamar Jackson. Now by the end of the year, he certainly could be because uh, like I said, he is a guy that's ascending, but I do have to factor in sample size to a certain degree. And with Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts had an incredible year, and he had a big season, and he's been easily one of the most improved quarterbacks we've seen in this league. I'm not sure I could push him ahead of some of these other guys. Now, they've got him just outside of Tier 1, but Jalen Hurts is another guy that his first couple years in the league, the Eagles weren't even sold on him. Going into last season, it was a make-or-break year for this guy because they didn't even know if he was going to be the guy. Now, he took a huge step forward, but he's also got a great, great team around him as well and some pretty high-level coaching, and I think that matters because speaking on the coaching, we saw the step forward that Trevor Lawrence made when he had a real coach, something that you touched on there, Alex, that Justin Herbert has quite frankly never had. Dak Prescott, probably about where he should be. We've talked a lot about him, just really solid quarterback, not great, but a guy that's going to win a lot of games. I don't know if he can ever take him to the mountaintop, but just right there in the mix, I don't really have a problem with that. Deshaun Watson, based on past success, I understand having him there, but I'm with you. I don't know if we could put him ahead of Kirk Cousins, mostly because we haven't really seen anything for the last couple of years. And last season, he only played a handful of games, really played some terrible football at the quarterback position. 
Now, he's a guy who could bounce back, maybe climb back up this list. Matthew Stafford had the injuries last year, but he's only two years removed from a Super Bowl in a pretty high-level season. And he's another guy that had a lot of good years in Detroit, just not a lot of team success because of the team around him. And going back to it again, look at what happens when a talented quarterback gets paired with a great coach. He he gets paired up with Sean McVay. He instantly finds success and wins the Super Bowl. So what about tier three here, Alex? What do you make of number 13, Kyler Murray, 14, Derek Carr, 15, Jared Goff, 16, Russell Wilson, 17 is Tua, 18, Jimmy Garoppolo, 19, Daniel Jones, 20, Geno Smith, 21, Justin Fields, 22, Ryan Tannehill, 23, Mac Jones to round out tier three. What do you make of this group? This one is also kind of odd to me. So first off, number 13, gosh, number 13, Kyle Murray. I mean, I'm confused on what we're looking at here. We understand the talent. So we'll take that and put that to the side. We're not even going to talk about the size or anything like that. We're just talking about the talent. However, the leadership skills and what we've been able to see on the field, I can't put him above Derek Carr. I can't put him above Jared Goff. I can't put him above what we saw from Tua, you know, going in the last year where he looks like he's perhaps ascending. So I'm not sure why he's that high on the list, especially with the issues they've been having with him, what we talked about, the clauses that they had to put that they felt they needed to put into that contract, the leadership issues that we've heard from Larry Fitzgerald and others on that team. So I'm not sure why he would be this high on the list. It must they just I can only assume that they're looking at the talent. Derek Carr, he's definitely a top 16 quarterback. I always say once you get to eight. Anytime you get to, to the top eight, anywhere between nine and 16, those guys can fluctuate throughout the season because just just the fluidity of what's going on and who gets hot and so on and so forth. So I'm, I don't have a problem with him there. Jared Goff, he looks to be an ascending quarterback with Ben Johnson. I talked about this off mic earlier. You know, Ben Johnson was a first-year offensive coordinator. He had Jared Goff looking like a, looking like a number one pick. Now, there's a book on what Ben Johnson likes to do, what he likes to call. Now defensive have had an entire offseason to adjust. Now let's see what adjustments Ben and Jared can make to continue his ascension. So I don't have a problem where he is. Russ, I'm fine with that, what we saw from last year. I think he's, I 1,000% think he's better than what we saw last year. But again, to your point about coaching and the other things around him, there was a lot of things. So I think he's a person that can easily jump up into that tier two with no problem. Tua, I think, is a bit low because he looked like he was ascending. I'm assuming that is solely based on injury. So I, well, I, I, I'm, again, assuming that they're basing that on injury, so that's fine. Jimmy G, Daniel Jones, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I probably would have them below Geno, and I will push Geno up a little bit more because going into the season with that running game, with uh, and J- Jackson and Jigba Smith on that team is as well, giving him another weapon with another year in that system. I think I would have to push him up higher over Jimmy Garoppolo and Daniel Jones. I think now here's the one person that I'll point out. I think there's a lot of overrated salt that people are putting on Justin Fields because respectfully, not his fault, 
But what we saw was a lot of backyard football from Justin Fields because of that battle line, because of not having been able to have a consistent running game. He was just kind of making a lot of things up on the fly. We have not been able to see him play quarterback. So I don't know if I would put him... I can say the same thing about Mac Jones. When you have a defensive coordinator and a special teams coach as your offensive coordinator, you are going to have some problems as well. So I don't know. And based on what I've seen from Mac Jones, who I think his ceiling can be Alex Smith, I have to push him up that list over Justin Fields. And again, Ryan Tannehill, he can remain in there. I mean, I I guess he's right because when we get to the next tier, we'll see a lot of, you know, really just first year quarterbacks and rookies. So I don't have a problem with him being there, but I probably would do a lot of adjusting between 18 and 23 specific, and especially getting Kyler Murray off the top of that, because I don't believe he belongs there at all. Let's start with Kyler Murray. You're right, Alex. At 13, at the very top of tier three, get out of here. I mean, get out of here with this. Are you kidding me? Based on talent, I can see it. And you touched on that. Really talented guy. But what has he done at all to show you that he's a top 13 quarterback in the league? This this is nonsense. There's no way he belongs this high on this list. That might be one of the worst ratings of any of these quarterbacks that we've mentioned. There's no way I'm putting him ahead of Derek Carr. There's no way I'm putting him ahead of Jared Goff. There's no way I'm putting him ahead of Russell Wilson, who I know had an awful season, but it's one bad year. When has Tyler had one good year? So it's nonsense to have him ahead of any of these guys. Tua, I like what you said about him, a guy who's been on the rise. Small sample size, so I, I kind of get that. Not a not a big body of work there. Quite frankly, Jimmy Garoppolo. There's no way I'd have Kyler Murray ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo. And people might push back on that. Whatever. I don't care. Jimmy Garoppolo has been a consistent, at least above average starter in the league for several years and has had playoff success and played in big games, won big games. I know the injury history has has really held him back in a lot of ways, but there's no way I can put Kyler Murray ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo. He might be more talented, but there's no way he's a better quarterback. Geno Smith, I kind of get why he's there Once again, small sample size, a guy who really has been a backup for the majority of his career. We know he got drafted in the first round. They had high hopes for him in New York to be a franchise guy. It didn't pan pan out. He bounced around the league and had this big comeback year last year. We're going to jump into the NFC West later, so we'll kind of dive into him and Kyler and some of these guys a little more later. Daniel Jones, similar situation, really small sample size. He had moments where he played okay in his first couple years, but last year was really the first year where he actually looked like a capable starter. Now, he didn't blow you away with great numbers, but he had a a nice season, looked like a guy who could lead a team. But once again, you know, not a lot to go off of there. Ryan Tannehill being way down this list, man, that just tells you exactly how the NFL feels about this guy because he's had a decent amount of success in the league, but clearly People are low on him. I mean, being below Justin Fields, man, that's that's crazy. Because, look, I like Justin Fields. I like his upside. I loved him coming out of Ohio State. I don't think we've seen his best football. But you're right. The backyard football, he hasn't learned how to play the position at a high level yet. It's really hard to have him ahead of a guy like Tannehill or even a guy like Mac Jones, who I know didn't have a great season last year. But some of this comes back to something that we've talked about here We got to look at the situations. Daniel Jones had a terrible coaching situation until Dayball came in. 
You look at Mac Jones, he had a good situation year one, had a really nice rookie year. Year two, he has a terrible coaching situation with Judge and Patricia calling the plays, and he takes a step back. So I think that has to be factored in when we look at these guys. Tua is another really good example of coaching because we saw Tua play average to below average for a couple years with Flores as the coach, a defensive-minded coach. Mike McDaniel comes over, brings his system over, and we see him flourish. And, of course, they added some pieces around him as well, and that, that certainly helps. I don't know how long you want to spend on the last tier here, but just to round it out, tier four starts with, at number 24, Brock Purdy. At 25, Kenny Pickett. At 26, Jordan Love. 27, Baker Mayfield. 28, Sam Howell. 29, Desmond Ritter. And at 30, Gardner Minshew. Any thoughts here on that last group? One thing about number 26, watch out for Jordan Love. He's in this tier, but similar to what we saw from Geno Smith, he they now have a quarterback that's going to play within the system and play the calls that are played and play exactly how the coach wants that game to be played with that running game and that defense. Watch Jordan Love this year and watch the ascension that he has. I have when we start going through a lot more of our picks, there's going to be some surprises because I think there's going to Jordan Love's going to surprise a lot of people this season. Yeah, I like it, Alex. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say. Brock Purdy, you know, a guy who came on last year, we know the story. Going to be excited to see if he can back it up here in year two. Now, we know he's coming off the injury. We don't know what he's going to look like, the timetable. We talked about that last week on the pod. But he's an interesting guy that if, if he puts it together and looks like he did last season, he could be a guy that shoots up this list quickly. Jordan Love is just a huge question mark. Now, we know he's a former first-round pick. We know he had a lot of talent coming out of Utah State. Small school guy, though, didn't play against the best competition. I had some questions about him coming out of the draft. He was a late first-round pick, but the Packers traded up to get this guy originally. So they were high on him coming out of the draft. Now he's been in the system for a couple years. I like some of the young playmakers. Packers are going to be a fun team to watch and a team that might surprise people. I'm with you. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in this system with these pieces around him. Baker Mayfield, man, how far this guy has fallen, a former number one pick, not alone. I mean, let's face it. He's on a long list of top one, top two picks that just don't pan out. I think that's just the unfortunate story of him. He just never really became the guy, even though he had a little bit of success with the Browns. He never really put it together, and he's headed for a career backup role, I'm sure, after this season. Sam Howell. We don't know what we're getting with him. I think it's interesting, though, that the commanders made him the starter when they had a chance to draft a guy this year. Clearly, they think they might have something with him, a fifth-round pick from last year. I've heard some reports that he's looked good, some mixed reports. It'll be interesting. We're going to see what they have here, but not a great situation for him. Last week, we started the NFL division previews. We're going to stick with the West here and jump to the NFC West. Let's talk about the dumpster fire that is the Arizona Cardinals, Alex. Kyler Murray is hurt. They're paying players to leave the team. Their new head coach, Jonathan Gannon, already seems like he's in over his head. Head coach, OC, and DC will all be in their first season at their positions. This is not a great formula for success. Well, Brad, as you know, and we, again, we do, just so everybody knows, me and Brad speak a lot off air. So we've always gone back and forth over things. And this has been 
one of my top hot takes outside of the Bills not making the playoffs. I believe that the Arizona Cardinals are going to completely tank this year. I do not believe we will see Kyler Murray. I believe they will hold him out for the entire year. I believe they will go after that number one pick. They will get that number one pick, and they will be able to trade it if what we believe is either Drake May or Caleb Williams available and be able to get a haul, and hopefully they can right the ship similar to a lot with what Seattle did and hitting on a lot of those draft picks with the trades that they made. They should be able to get a haul for that pick, that top pick, and hopefully begin to set the table right and get this team going in the right direction. But they, you're absolutely right. This is a complete dumpster fire. I'm not sure about this head coach. I would have been a person that would have gone after Brian Flores because I think you need someone that comes in there with an iron fist, with a lot of discipline, that can right the ship. Whether he won or not, I think he would have been able to change the culture and get everybody on the same page, which is what I believe they needed especially if you're looking at Kyler Murray as your leader. Now, we talked about their draft before. I like what they did with Paris Johnson, B.J. Elagery, Garrett Williams, and a couple of other players. They look to have some people. However, Buda Baker wants out. They have not been able to figure out with which is what we call a Swiss Army knife in the NFL and Isaiah Simmons. They have it. They're not going to pick him up in this fifth-year option. He's not going to be there next year. They're going to either trade him and – I'm predicting it now. He's going to wind up in New England and be an all-pro, probably borderline Hall of Fame player when you get with a guy like Bill Belichick that knows what to do with a player like that that can play linebacker, every linebacker position, both safety positions, and can play corner. This team had a lot of talent. They were looked they should have been they look like they should have been able to do a lot of things, but they don't appear to be going in the right direction. So I don't expect anything from this team. I don't expect them to win more than three to four games. Again, that's because I don't believe that Kyler Murray is going to play this year and they're going to get that number one pick, trade it for a haul, and hopefully make some right picks to set the, to reset the table around Kyler Murray and currently what they have and go forward. But I don't look forward to anything from this team. I do not like the way it's set up from actually from ownership on down, you know, to be fair to the coaching staff, they just got there. But the way that it looks, I just wouldn't have gone in that direction. So I'm including them in that. I just don't know where this team is going. They are a directionalist team to me. I'm going to put a pin in the number one pick here. I want to jump back to that here in a second. So let me just hold on to that because I want to come back to that, Alex. But you're right about this team. This roster might be the worst in the NFL. I think you can make a strong case that it is. Now, like you mentioned, they drafted offensive lineman Paris Johnson Jr., Really like him as a prospect. Defensive end, B.J. Ojolari, the brother of Aziz Ojolari, who plays for the Giants. So you've got some NFL bloodlines there. I think he's a high-level prospect. I like those picks. And they had some guys that they picked in this draft that I think could help this team. But they're going to have to because, quite frankly, they just don't have enough talent elsewhere. Now, they signed a few quality offensive linemen in free agency. They needed to address that unit. I think it should be better this year. I'm trying to point at some of the good, right? There's not a whole lot of good to point to with this team. So I'm trying to pick some spots where maybe you could shine a light and say, okay, that looks good here. But they lost wide receivers, A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, and Robbie Anderson. I'm not even sure this team really wants to compete in 2023. I'm, I'm with you, Alex. Maybe that's a good thing because you hit on it. They need to rebuild this thing. Being good, I don't think actually helps this team. And I don't think they're going to be. I mean, it's a young team. 
It's a young staff like we touched on. And here's the other part, Alex. Look at this schedule. The Cardinals open their season in D.C. Then they play the Giants, Cowboys, 49ers, and Bengals. Then they go to the Rams, head to Seattle, and come back home for the Ravens. There's a realistic possibility, Alex, that they open the season 0-8. If they open the season on that kind of note, this season is going to be over by the halfway point. Now, we know this team should be terrible. There's no way around it. I think we're making it pretty obvious here, guys. Let's cut to the real question because you talked about it here. If they have the number one pick or maybe the number two pick, is there any chance? Because you said that they would trade that pick, but do you think there's any realistic chance that they actually draft Caleb Williams, who many, myself included, think is a generational prospect? Or even a guy like Drake May, who a lot of draft analysts and people who cover the sport really think highly of as well. Do you think there's any shot there that they pivot? I know Kyler got a contract and that makes it a little messier, but could they pivot here and try to rebuild this franchise at the most important position? So if they trade him, that leaves them with a dead cap space of $46 million. Even if they post trade, if they post six one trade him, that gives them a dead cap of thirteen million in twenty twenty four, a dead cap of thirty three, and it does save cap savings of thirty eight. So they can get crafty with it, but an, an, a contract that high, and you're at a deficit, and you would have, you would definitely one thousand percent want to get that guy out of the building. And the funny thing is. This is the exact same thing that the Cardinals did when they drafted Kyler Murray. They had drafted Josh Rosen, found out he was a bust. They drafted Kyler Murray, and they're feeling like maybe there's talent there, but he may not be the leader, and we believe there's this generational talent here in Kayla Williams or Drake May, and we don't want to trade off on it. We don't want to pass up on what people are talking about as the next quote-unquote guy, and maybe it's worth them doing the nuclear option with that contract the way that's set up and then trading him to another team so that they can bring this guy in. And again, as I said, reset the table. I think it would be interesting talk at the end of the season if they go in the, the direction that I think they should go. I also had the same notion when Dak Prescott got hurt and he was going into his contract. I said the Cowboys should tank and Trevor Lawrence would be sitting right there for them. And they did not do it. And here they are. But still a good team, but here they are. So I don't know. It's interesting to talk about, and I think it'll be something that we'll be able to keep an eye on as we go through the season. Yeah, and with college football right around the corner here, just side note, I can't wait to watch this guy again. He was electric at USC last year, and Drake May, for that matter, was a really fun watch as well. I think both these guys have the chance to be really high-level players, but Caleb especially. I think this guy, if he follows up and gets even better off of the season he had last year, I think he has the potential to really be one of the highest graded prospects we've seen maybe in the last 10, 15 years. I think he's going to be in that conversation with a guy like Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck as being one of those really generational prospects with the chance to be a big, big time player. And that's going to be really hard for them to pass on if they are sitting there with the number one pick. Now, side note here, quick side note. You're a New York guy, as we've talked about. But you're now living down in North Carolina. Are you going to go see Drake May play this year? How, how far is it out to UNC from where you're at? Are you going to get out to the game? Um, 45 minutes away. If I can get to a game because it is madness. People, if you don't know anything about that, the, the research triangle area, Duke, UNC, and NC State are literally only 10 minutes from each other. 
So you can imagine when it's basketball or football, it is simply a madhouse in that metropolitan area and all those universities being so close to each other to get anywhere. So I've since I've left New York, I've kind of gotten used to not having any traffic and not being in stop in, in complete utter chaos. But this is one that I might have to go see for myself and take an opportunity to go see. Yeah, I, I hope you do. I know I would want to take advantage of it if you've got a top two prospect, a guy like this in your backyard. I know that I would have to go see him live. I hope you do so you can report what you see because there is something different about seeing these guys up close. And not that you can't tell how good a guy is on TV. It's nothing like that. Or, you know, the all 22, we know how important that stuff is. But there is something special about being able to see a guy live and kind of get a feel for him. So I hope you do, Alex, and report back this year and let us know what you think when you see him here. Let's jump to the Rams here, Alex. The Los Angeles Rams. This is one of the more interesting teams in football heading into this season. The Rams are in a similar spot going into 23 that they were in last season, a top-heavy team. You've got stars like Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, quarterback Matt Stafford, but we know this is a team that also has a great coach in Sean McVay. So you've got names here. There's some star power in LA, but this is going to be a much younger and a lot more unproven roster in LA this season. Yeah, you know what? And one thing I can say, they had a lot of draft picks this year. They might not have a lot of top-end draft picks, but, you know, when they got through those third to fifth round picks, they got they had a lot of picks, and that was something that they really needed because, as you said, they're very top-heavy, and depth is something that they truly needed. So when you look at what they drafted, they drafted it all over the place, basically at every position, including quarterback. Now, Stetson Bennett is not a guy to me, but what we listened to and what we found out this offseason and them trying to move on from Matthew Stafford, we know that there can be at some point in time going into this next offseason, it's going to come up again because they realize, and this is what, as I put, as you know, I put on my CEO hat, this is what you do. You realize a declining stock and you try to get off of it and you need to reset the table again. And also, let's also remember Sean McVay was also contemplating leaving and heading to the booth. So you as an ownership and you as a GM have to make a lot of decisions again, coming up again that you're going to be looking at throughout this season and going to the offseason, be at a crux again on what feeling tight again on what is McVay going to do? Can we move on from Stafford? But as what we're looking at going into this season, if Cooper Cup can remain healthy, we know what he can do. I think he's done enough to prove to us that this is a guy in the NFL. This is a top five wide receiver. It doesn't matter that he's in the slot, but he's a top five wide receiver. However, what's surrounding him and Ben Skronerick and Van Jefferson, even though I'm a Florida fan, there's a lot to be desired there. They lost it. They, they still have, excuse me, they still have Tyler Higby and the offensive line, and they added some offensive linemen from the draft there, but they still have not been able to get a consistent running game. This is going to be Cam Akers coming back from an injury, a year removed from the injury. So hopefully he can come in. Again, we know that defense lost Bobby Wagner, Jalen Ramsey as well. So even though Aaron Donald is still there, he's surrounded by a lot of new and young players. But again, 
on the back end as well, when you talk about Achille Weatherspoon and all these other guys, there's a lot to be desired. Even though we believe they're top heavy, the names at the top aren't the names that were at the top from a year ago. So I believe this is another team that's going to struggle. And I believe at some point during the season, they're going to have to make some serious decisions and say, and I know there's the dreaded tank word, but they're going to have to make some decisions on what it is they want to do if they're sitting there at five and nine or whatever they're at once they get late into the season and jockeying to be in the running for one of these quarterbacks. Cause this is actually, we, we've talked about the top two quarterbacks and this is a team that will be in the market for a quarterback, but there's also Bo Nix and also Spencer Rattler from South Carolina. So there'll be a lot of quarterbacks, even in the later part of the draft, the latter part of the draft, they could still go and get, I think. And, and the reason I, I'm talking in this fashion, because when you start to look at a talent and what they have on a team, it's just simply not looking good. And who knows if Matthew Stafford can even get through the season again with what we've seen with the arm issues that he has been having. So when I look at everything holistically, I'm not sure what this team is going to do. I can't see just simply based on Sean McVay's coaching and the will of Aaron Donald around that defense, trying to lead that defense and Cooper Cup, I would say maybe perhaps six wins if this team just stays intact throughout the season, but I cannot see them in any type of playoff hunt. Yeah, Alex, when you look at some of the changes and you hit on some of them, they hired Michael Floor to be the offensive coordinator. I like that move. It fits what they do. It fits their scheme. It's a guy that McVay knows and is going to trust there. I think that's going to be a good move. Now, neither one of us was really that excited about their draft class. There's a few guys that I like, but not that exciting. No first-round pick once again and minimal cap space. The Rams' only roster improvement tool, so to speak, was the 2023 NFL draft. So they need to hit on some of these guys. There's no doubt about it. Some of these guys are going to have to perform if this team's going to do anything, but they haven't drafted an all-pro or pro bowler in their last five classes. So this is not a team that has utilized the draft. It's not a team that has built their team with the draft. They pushed all their chips into the table to get that Super Bowl. And it paid off. And look, I think a lot of Rams fans, if you asked them, they'd say, hey, I'll take it. Mortgaging our future for a Super Bowl ring. And they did it. But now you've got to pay the price. Now we're on the backside of that Super Bowl ring. And we're seeing what happened to this roster when it got depleted. It aged. And now you've got no draft capital available to you. Like you said, they made some moves to try to replenish it. And they had a lot of picks. But these guys are going to have to play well. Now they lost Uh, linebacker Bobby Wagner. They lost wide receiver Allen Robinson. I'm not sure that's going to hurt too much, but losing Jalen Ramsey, I think, is a big loss for them. I think it's their biggest offseason loss by far. He's still a high-level cornerback. We talked about him earlier. Now, they can try to continue to unload the big contracts that they have, and I think they're going to, but they can do that, or they can try to win with the team they have now. It kind of feels like they're stuck in this in-between mode. You've got a high-level coach. In theory, you should have a high-level quarterback, but we don't know if Stafford still has that much good ball left in him. Aaron Donald, still one of the best defensive players in the league. Cooper Cup, like you mentioned, one of the best wide receivers. There's some high-end talent, but is there enough around these guys? I think Stafford and Cup are going to need to connect like they did back in 2021. I think Donald is going to have to play at a defensive player of the year level if they're going to make any noise at all. I don't see it, though, Alex. I'm with you. I think if the Cardinals weren't in this division, we'd be talking about the Rams at the bottom. All right, let's jump to the Seattle Seahawks. Now, 
Seattle had a what I would consider a Cinderella season last year. They really outperformed just about anyone's expectations. The big question mark this year, can they do it again? Did the Seahawks hit on their draft class again? Because last year they had that draft class that really revamped this roster overnight, especially at the offensive tackle spots. They land two big-time starting offensive tackles in one draft. That's pretty impressive stuff. In April, we talked about Drafting cornerback Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, really good player. Wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State, another guy that I think is a really high-level wide receiver for them. These two guys could be impact starters day one for this team. They've had an influx of high-end young players, and it's going to be really fun to see if they hit on these guys again, Alex. Now, we loved the pick of Zach Charbonnet, the running back out of UCLA, and Derek Hall from Auburn, an edge defender that I think could be an impact player as well. If they have another class like that, man, this team could be really in the mix again. What are your thoughts on Seattle? What do you expect from them? I, this feels like kind of a wild card team in a pretty wide open NFC. Listen, I know that we talked about Geno Smith when we were talking about the quarterback ranking and the tiers that he was in, but I'm going to give Geno Smith the benefit of the doubt. Another year in this offense, another strong running back that they brought in to strengthen that running game. We know how Pete loves to run the ball. That's going to make it a lot easier for him to throw. He's got another weapon now in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And we, one thing we can say about Ohio State, they may not be able to put quarterbacks into the league but they know how to put wide receivers in the league this is a, and this is another one Devin Witherspoon despite how I may feel about Christian Gonzalez this guy is a hard hitter he's going to fit back into what they're trying to build in that backfield again what they had last year with Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jackson back there and if Jamal Adams can stay healthy again what you said with Derek Hall who is a pure pass rusher now I will say this I did see today that both Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet are out hopefully they're just lingering injuries that they're just trying to be careful with and they'll be ready and they'll be able to be ready in a week or two to get back in the camp so that this team is hitting on all cylinders this is the team that I have winning the division and when we get to San Francisco, I'll tell you why. But this is the team. This is another strong draft class. We can trust in Pete Carroll. I am going to give Gino the benefit of the doubt and say that he's going to have another good year. Maybe not as efficient in what he did last year, but I believe he's still going to be a capable quarterback to play within the system. I think this defense is going to be stronger. I think he's going to have more weapons. And I think we're going to see Seattle battle and take over for this season be the lead going into the season winning this division whoa okay okay seattle winning the division man i don't know if i'm that bullish on this team i like seattle and i like all the points you made and i love what they're building i mean this young roster is fantastic hitting on all these draft picks and like like we just touched on with some of these rookies i think they're going to hit on some of these guys too this team could certainly be in the mix and it would not surprise me if it came down to the wire. If we're talking week 16, 17, towards the end of the season, if they're in the hunt for this division, it would not surprise me. So I'll say that much. Really fascinating team. I think the biggest question mark is Geno Smith. And I'm not taking a shot at Geno when I say that. It's just like we talked about a little bit earlier, it's a small sample size. It's one really nice season and he did kind of fade a little bit down the stretch last season as well. 
I'm just wondering, can he still play at that high level as the year two as the starter in Seattle? He's certainly going to have the pieces around him. He's going to have the coaching and the support system around him. And because of all those things, maybe it works out. Maybe this team is sneaky good. Maybe they're even a sneaky NFC contender. When, when you look at the changes to this team, so to speak, they didn't make any notable changes to the coaching staff, which I think is good because you want that stability coming into year two, especially for a guy like Gino. Now, they made a few key uh, free agent signings. They picked up defensive tackle Jaron Reed. They brought back linebacker Bobby Wagner. They brought in defensive end Draymond Jones and safety Julian Love, who I think that was a little bit under the radar pickup. He's a, he's a pretty decent young player. Now, once again, big question mark here. I think it just comes back to the quarterback. And if he performs at the level he did last year or close to it, I think they're going to be in the mix. If he starts to regress, then it'll be really interesting to kind of see what Seattle does going forward because they certainly are putting together a heck of a team here. Maybe we're sleeping on the Seahawks. Am I sleeping on the Seahawks here, Alex? I'm telling you, yes, I believe you're sleeping on the Seahawks. Cause, and and I and let, let's be real. I get who Geno Smith is, has been throughout his entire career. I know what this has looked like, but I am going to give him, that's why I'm reiterating that I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, the confidence that he got, the confidence that Pete gave him, the draft that they have. I think there's a little bit of under the radar assault on the Seahawks, and I think they're going to show and prove this year. Let's jump to the 49ers, though. And this is the team that I have winning the division. I know it's the chalky pick, but the 49ers absolutely stomped the Seahawks last year. It wasn't even close. Now, the Seahawks improved, but I think the 49ers did as well. Similar to the Seahawks, but in a much different way, the question mark revolves around the quarterback. But with San Francisco, it's crazy to say, I don't even know how much it matters. Sam Darnold. Or is it going to be 2021 first-round pick Trey Lance? I think more than likely it's going to be Darnold. But the Niners traded three first-rounders to move up to acquire Trey Lance. Darnold, when you look at him, we know he's got been a guy that's really underachieved in his career after being a top one of the top picks in the draft. He's thrown 61 touchdowns, 55 interceptions in his career. I think is, is the question really becomes, is this going to put a lot of pressure on Brock Purdy when he comes back healthy? And is he going to be able to look like he did last season? So once again, big question marks around the quarterback position. But when you've got the playmakers like wide receivers, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, tight end George Kittle, running backs, Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, and of course, Kyle Shanahan calling the plays and drawing it up. I, I wonder how much it actually matters if they just have decent play at the quarterback position. And with that defense, nearly all of their starters are back from the NFL's top ranked defense last year. And they added defensive tackle Javon Hargrave, who had nine sacks and had the highest quarterback pressure percentage in the league last year. I can't bet against this team. Completely understand. And it makes perfect sense the way that they're set up. But as I said last week, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, the kings of misdeception, I do not believe that Brock Purdy is going to be ready for this season. I don't know what he is. I do have a belief in Kyle Shanahan that perhaps he's going to be able to bring him along. But I think we're going to see if we're getting a full, let's just say, 
13 to 14 games from Brock Purdy, it's not going to look like what it looked like last season at all. I know, and I'm going to say it, and I'm sorry, there's a little bit of overhyped juice on Debo Samuel. I know everybody loves what he's been able to do, but he has not been able to consistently been a contributor to this team. He has he has had only one season as a full-time starter, and even in that season, he got injured in one game. But other than that, he has been pretty much pedestrian for the most part, with the exception of the one year you saw something from him and he was used in the running game as well, though very much an elite year, but he has not been consistent. This is the first year, I would say, I want to say in the last two and a half years that we've been able to see Christian McCaffrey healthy. Now, hopefully he's he's gotten over the injury bug and he's going to be there. And the reason you only hear me talking about the offense and, and not the defense, because I believe in everything that, that Brad just said, the defense is going to be on point. So I'm going to trust that the defense is on point and that they're going to do what it is that they do. But offensively, they are going to struggle on offense. Though they have a great play caller on offense, there is a lot to be desired and looking at what this team is going to be able to do offensively to at least maintain what the defense is doing. Your defense can be stifling. And yes, Javon Hargrave was a guy, but he was surrounded by a lot of a great rotation, a great rotation of players, you know, from defensive tackle, from linebackers and everything. So they don't, this 49 team is not as deep as what that Eagles team was as well. And if I'm not mistaken, they do run, they, they do switch in and out of, a 3-4 to a 4-3 where you end up sometimes having Nick Bosa at linebacker. And from what I see on their current depth chart, Cleveland Farrell is their starting left defensive end. So there is a weakness of, of all weaknesses on this line. That's not saying Cleveland can prove me wrong as a Raider fan, but from what we've seen from him once he's been in the league, it has been a lot to be desired for. So, And also on the back end of that team, there is a little bit of Weakness at the cornerback position, but they do have my guy, as I call him, young Palomolo Hayufunga back there, who's been showing and proving that he is a guy. And they did draft Jair Brown as safety. But on offense, it's really where I see the issues. They're not deep at they're not deep at wide receiver. So if something were to happen to Debo, as it has been consistently happening every year, there isn't another guy that can step in and fill those and fill those shoes. What they did last year in getting Christian McCaffrey was able to step in and take a lot of pressure off of not having Debo Samuel. And then when he came back, you got to get the full on aspect of what that offense could be. But Brock Purdy, a full year, giving us maybe 13 years, I think we still don't know who he is. He has no resume. He just has a, if I'm not mistaken, a 10-game resume. And also what's going to be going forward now that defenses do have a slightly, a little bit of what he's able to do. And then now since he's not able to practice in camp, he's not going to have a full camp to get more of the playbook under him. It's still going to be a, a limited playbook going. So I look at them to struggle early in the season and maybe perhaps if they can't pick it up on the back end. But to me, by that time, Seattle will be rocking and rolling and they will not be able to catch them. They'll come in second in the division. I, I like it, Alex. I like your take there. I think it's valid. I think the, the health is a question mark for guys like Debo and Christian McCaffrey. And those players are so key 
to this offense because they're so versatile and they allow Shanahan to open up the playbook in a way that he just simply can't do when they're not available. If those guys are healthy, I think we're talking about an offense that's pretty dangerous because they just bring so much to the table. We saw what McCaffrey did to this offense last year. Incredible improvement once they made that trade. The quarterback position, big question mark, like we said. But at this point, I just have so much trust in Kyle Shanahan when it comes to quarterbacks. I feel like no matter who he puts in there, they're going to play at an above average level. I think Sam Darnold is going to shock people. I really do. I think he's going to keep this team afloat for the first three, four, five games, whatever it ends up being. Brock Purdy, small sample size, but I really liked what I saw from him last year. If he can continue that success, and I think he can in this system, I think San Francisco is still really dangerous, and I think it's a team to watch out for in the NFC, like they have been, quite frankly, almost every year with Shanahan. It seems like they're always in the mix. I expect them to be in the mix again. We're on opposite sides here, but we clearly have these two teams at the top of this division. It's going to be a fun one to watch, that is for sure. This has been a fun episode. That's going to do it. But before we go, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Tailgate Foodie. Be sure to check them out at the tailgatefoodie.com. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.